My name is Ben. I have not got any hens. But I did discover today that there's more chickens in the world than people. There's more chickens than people? In the world. Why? Just because of battery farming? More chicks, maybe. More chickens. I guess so. But if you, th- well, if you think... If you think people that go to Nando's, when you sit down at Nando's, what you do is you eat, like, a chicken each, if, if not more. Do you? I, yeah. Okay, it's been a while since I've been People to... eat a lot of chicken at Nando's. Yeah, like, we're all... Two-thirds of this room is vegetarian. I don't know if Lucy still eats meat. Do you still eat meat? Yeah, Lucy? I do. So it does make sense that you need more chickens than people. But I guess in places where you get, like, 18, 18 chicken legs for a family of four, that works out... Chickens only have two legs, so you need nine chickens for that family of four, so it does make... The, the math adds up. Nando's do a really good halloumi lemon burger. Now... Not that you'd ever know, because the queue's always too big. I've been there once in the past four years. I've, I've never been to Nando's, but I object to the idea that the vegetarian... The new age vegetarian choice is a halloumi burger. It used to be mushroom risotto. It did, and I hate risotto, and I'm really glad that risotto has gone away. But I dislike the fact that it's now halloumi because I can, I can do halloumi at home. Like, I can't do a risotto at home. I can cook <laughs> halloumi at home. You can do risotto at home. Risotto is one of the easiest dishes to make. Not make well, but easiest dishes to make. And I've had your cooking. I know you could probably pull off a pretty decent risotto. Hello and welcome to Money Frolder Up, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. This week hosted by three of your favourite people, Adam, Ben and Lucy. Who's new? Adam and Lucy are the new power couple of our podcast. <laughs> Lucy, what's your idiom? Um, every cloud has a silver lining. Ben, what's your idiom? Uh, through thick and thin. My idiom this week is fly off the handle. Ben, let's start with through thick and thin, because you were so excited about your research that you've done. Done loads. So, what do you think? Th- when would you use through thick and thin? You use it... Oh, okay. Is it a wedding vow? Do you use it in wedding vows? Do people use it in wedding vows? Like, I'll be with you through thick and thin, or is it just... That's a simplified way of saying wedding vows. What's the wedding vow that you say? Ben, you're married. I think that you don't say through thick and thin, but you do say through richer and poorer. So it's the same. It's, it's similar, Adam. Better and for worse. But it doesn't, but thick and thin doesn't come up. Okay. But yeah, as you can tell, Adam doesn't go to a lot of weddings. <laughs> I prefer receptions. We've had this discussion. I prefer receptions. They're much more entertaining. Weddings are boring. You fall asleep. It's just the good and the bad. You take the good with the bad. Um, you... you I don't, is it related to other people? Like, I'd be with you through thick and thin more often than not. I think that's when I'd use it. I would say correct. What would you say, Louisy? Yeah, I'd say it's usually like... Louisy. Sorry, Louisy. <laughs> I cut your name wrong there. Usually like couples, maybe. Like, oh, they stick with each other through thick and thin. The good times, the bad times. Seems to be the general thing. Yeah, so generally, that's when it's generally used to mean couples staying together through thick and thin. With one of them being the good times and one of them being the bad times. One okay. of the couples. One of the couples having a good time. That's the thick couple or the thin couple, depending on which term you think's good. And one of the couples having some bad times. Again, whichever one wasn't the good time couple. Is it ever used with anything else? Because I can only think of it being used in terms of people now, more specifically couples. I suppose you could use it in friendship groups, but I think it's more, it's definitely, it's definitely couple-based, isn't it? Well, I did, I, it's, most, it's mostly couple-based. Okay, so be able to last through and handle the good times as well as the bad. And it says usually in a sense of relationship of sorts. But it also says something about um, going through all forms of obstacle that are put in one's way. So you might say that someone's stuck to a project through thick and thin in that they have managed to support a project or finish a job, even though it's been challenging at times. Okay, so not always two people. One person faced with adversity at times. I guess even my example there, you could say that that person is married to that project 
and that's why they're together. So I think it's definitely about relationships, even if it is just not human relationships. Unless you really stick with yourself. Unless you just, I'm going to stick with myself through thick and thin because I don't really have a choice. <laughs> Suicide would be the only way out of oh, that. God. Uh, so where do you think it comes from? The best part of every idiom show is the amazing ideas that you come up with. So I think it's to do with back in the Victorian era when there was no real stories around Christmas that involved magic and CGI because the Victorians didn't really have much CGI. They had a little bit, but they didn't have much CGI. <laughs> just, just the basics. Just, just the, the basics. Eight, eight bit. Yeah, they could like they could remove the strings from uh, from a film when it was holding <laughs> up a broomstick or something. They could do that. Nice. But I reckon it comes from kids having to make their own entertainment and everybody knew the story of the orange and the banana because bananas were this new thing in victorian england that hadn't really been picked up on before and in this particular tale it was the thick orange and the thin banana and they were best of friends and basically what the orange was doing was he was taking him around the group at the market the grocer's market introducing the banana to all the victorian era food which was mainly just meat 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 and other oranges because there wasn't much in victorian england and through the thick and the thin is supposed to be a sort of christmas tale of love and (laughs) partnership that would kind of evolved from kids telling each other the story and everybody knew it so by about you know the late victorian era back when um helicopters were invented it was what they'd show on the in-flight entertainment are you trying to claim that uh, a Wonderful Life, that Christmas classic, is actually based on a Victorian equivalent to do with fruit. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, but yes. I feel like neither have I, but I'm just, I'm just hoping that, <laughs> that that comment is factually correct. Lucy, have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? No. No. Oh, excellent. I, I think one of them gets Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, is that that film? It was on Friends. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Only reason I know about it. Other TV shows. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I think it's a Victorian fable about an orange and a banana. Lucy, where do you think Through Thick and Thin comes from? Uh, so I don't have a ridiculous story about an orange and a banana. It wasn't ridiculous. Mm, um, it's close. So I guess it'd probably just be um, probably couples back in the day, or it's like the thick times are where you get a bit fat because you've got money and can afford food. The thin times are maybe where you both lose a bit of weight and struggle a bit more because you don't have so much money and can't afford so much food. Like in that situation, it's like, would you like a fat partner or a thin one? A fat. Well, being fat was kind of a sign of wealth. You know, Look at aristocrats tended to be a bit tubby because they had all of the food, peasants. And they still are. Thinner. Oh, <laughs> look at the Henry from the Henry's Times. Exactly. I believe he was a man mountain when it he came was. to his belly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, got, I've obviously got a few suggestions. But first of all, what, when I say thick and thin... What kind of am I defining? What do we, where, when would you use the words thick and thin to, to represent something? In what so like, sense? You've both gone for the classic thick and thin as being measurements of a diameter or size. Mm. Yeah. And when else would we use thick and thin? Uh, other than the size, I'm really not sure. Give us a clue. Give you a clue. Yeah. Uh, if you were making cream, you might say something. Okay, you might say if the cream itself is thick cream or thin cream. Yes, um, you might. Okay, so, yeah. Okay. And the last one I had is the density of something. So you might say a, th- a forest is thick or a forest is thin. Yep, yep, yeah. I, yeah, wouldn't use it as often, but yeah, no, I'd agree. I say this because I'm going to give you a possible idonym, words and stuff origin to go with each Thick and thin saying, ah. which I thought was, I thought I was pretty pleased with myself for that one. Yeah. Pat myself on the back more than once. Okay, so thick and thin. First one, the, the obvious one that you both went from, went from, went for, 
like thicknesses in width. So did it start with uh, JC when oh, he started? Love JC. Shout out to JC when he uh, when he shared the bread and fishes with the three thousand. Was it three thousand or three hundred? Wasn't it feeding the five thousand? Five thousand. I've mm-hmm. got my story wrong. This might have been a few weeks before yeah, that. Getting mixed up with the Spartans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that famous time JC fed the fed the Spartans before the Battle of. Thermopylae or whatever it was. Showing the Spartans how to share. <laughs> no, Midas, don't eat all the gold and bread. He's, he was a Spartan, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so, did JC start the saying uh, when he showed people that you have to stick together through the good times and like when he only had five disciples, he'd chop the bread quite thickly and share it out and the thin times, so like when you've got loads of followers, you only get like a little thin slice of bread. But at least you can take solace in the fact that you're popular. So, so, so does it come from JC? Some JC sharing bread. It's like a slightly more distorted version of Lucy's idea. It is. Very biblical. We mm. do sometimes have biblical origins. Based in fact, they were like Lucy's uh, cockamamie story. <laughs> Sorry, you couldn't have an apple and an orange or a banana. Banana and an orange. <laughs> Does it come from a land before roads? Okay. When everyone had to travel via dinosaur. So Are you cribbing a land like, before time? Yeah. Basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So when cavemen had kind of a choice of uh, taking rather long, not very well-maintained paths, think about kind of uh, roads in Manchester, which aren't used very often and quite potholy, as cyclists all. We all recognise which roads are nice to cycle down and which aren't. Absolutely none of them in Manchester. <laughs> but imagine if all the roads were like that because it was before roads and there was just paths. Sure, yep. So you had to, to drive your dinosaur around. In my head, it's a triceratops, just so that we can all be on the same page for that one. Of course. Okay, so then you had a choice between taking quite a long, loopy, not very well-maintained path, or going through, uh, kind of through the thick woods, okay? And also the thin marshes, so through thick and thin, instead of taking the long path. And in this example, the marshes do have ghosts in them. (laughs) Of course, why wouldn't they? Dinosaur ghosts, right? Dinosaur, well, back then it was only really dinosaurs that died. Sure, yeah, so there'd be a disproportionate amount of dinosaur ghosts. More dinosaur ghosts than caveman ghosts. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. Or three, so we've done, done objects, width and density, some things have lost, for, uh, viscosity of liquids is what I've called it, because <laughs> no. that is a good word. Nice, it is yeah. a good word. Okay, does it come from the ancient Greek custard race? Okay. The ancient Greek custard race, stay with me here, because this is fact. Uh, where so we had the doomsday book didn't we at one point where someone went around and wrote down how what every kind of the wealth everyone had we did William it was more of census but yeah yeah so so but in ancient Greek they had loads of bathhouses didn't they so what they did instead of write down everyone's wealth was the wife would make as thick a custard as she could fill the bath with the custard and then the husband would have to see how far through the bath he could run before obviously succumbing to it because everyone knows that you can walk on thick custard. Science fact. Um, Non-Newtonian fluid? Is that the one? That yeah, the one? yeah. Well, if you apply yeah. pressure, it is a solid. So yeah, so, so, the, so the bath, would, the, the wife would make the custard. In thick times, she'd produce like a really thick custard. He'd stroll across. In thin times, you'd just have to kind of jump and hope for the best. But they'd stick together. Onlookers would uh, have a good laugh at it. And then they'd describe the couple's wealth based on the custard they produced. Okay, those, those well-known custard-producing Greeks. I like it. Um, JC, dinosaur swamps and marshes, custard producing Greeks and people running through custard. <laughs> I feel like you went off, uh, off the deep end a little bit. What do you call it where you stick like feathers on stuff and make them look fancy? Peacocked? I don't know. Somewhat peacocked. I mm-hmm. like it. That is, I'm going to try and peacock my answers every week because I think it makes it much more difficult to spot the correct one. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Some would say almost impossible. I think Adam won't get it. 
<laughs> I'm pretty confident. There was no orange and banana in Victorian England, Ben. I Sorry, I should have car crashed that the custards were different flavours, so they could be banana or orange flavoured <laughs> custard. And you might decorate your uh, custard by throwing an orange in, maybe. I'm going to go for good old JC and say that it's a biblical origin. Good old JC. we have a lot of biblical origins on this podcast. So you think it's all about kind of Lucy's idea of being with someone too thick and thin, and it came from the idea that you slice bread thickly or thinly? I think so, Lucy. I'm going with the non-Newtonian fluids. It's obviously the custard races. <laughs> <laughs> that could be anything but custard. <laughs> I did like custard. I chose this one just to get custard in it as much as possible. Nice. And then I was like trying to work in Eddie Izzard saying that blood is thicker than water, but custard's thicker than blood, which tickles me whenever I hear it. I think <laughs> about it. That's a great saying. Did you know, I think it's Bird's Custard that was invented by the husband for his wife because his wife was allergic to, I want to say, eggs. So that's the reason why Bird's Custard doesn't have eggs in it, because it was made by a husband for his wife who was allergic to them. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Bird's Custard's weird. Is it a thin or thick custard, Bird's Bird's Custard? Bird's Custard's... I mean, you can get it in powder form, and then it depends how much much water you add to it. Oh, anything that comes in powder form doesn't end up good. We've all had Smash while camping. Bird's Custard and Smash is pretty much just what you get in schools, right? It's just what you get given because you can buy it on the cheap in bulk, like Angel Delight, which is No, we just got Gruel. But normally cooked. Let's go gruel. Gruel. When you had school in Victorian England. Yep. At least on Christmas you get an origin. That would have been a step up. (laughs) Angel Delight's amazing. Okay, so you're both sadly wrong. Uh, On the fact that Angel Delight's amazing. (laughs) Angel Delight is amazing. Uh, Yep. Wrong, 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 wrong. (laughs) You're both... It's so horrible. It's like... It's like an excuse to just eat sugar. Yeah. As a kid, I used to love making it and then always be disappointed. When you were eating it. Yeah, I'm just like, why? Are you, I was a fat kid as well. Like, I did not need those calories. Were you a fat kid? Yeah, like, um, like this. That actually surprises me a lot. What's the, <laughs> what's the actual answer, Ben? Number two, obviously. It's always number two. Dinosaurs, marshes, and swamps. So so what do you think the peacock feathers are in my number two answer? The dinosaurs? The marshes, the swamps. <laughs> no, no. So so um, it's actually, it's come down as one of the oldest phrases from the 10th century. So some 10th century Anglo-Saxon poems apparently have it, use it. Really? Um, I couldn't actually track down the, the poem. This oh. was just stated on a website. So it was then used by Chaucer in the, 1300, in the 1300s in the Reeves tale, which kind of changed it into what we know about it more today. But originally it was to, to, to go through thicket and thin. So it, was, it dates back to when England was mainly a forested area. And it is the idea that you could either travel the long roads or you can go through the thicket and thin wood. Mm. So it got changed a bit by Chaucer to mean what we kind of use today. What we associate it with now. Yeah, and I don't doubt that it probably... I don't, couldn't find out when it started to relate towards relationships as opposed to just actual kind of travel. Because okay. that's obviously how it started. Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, though, you don't always associate with relationships or even relationships. Relationships with work and relationships with projects comes into it quite a lot. It seems to be the primary one, but it might be because of wedding vows, because they have similar meanings to that. So it's just a shortened, less formal way of saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and interestingly as well, um, one source I was reading talked about how lots of fantasy picks up on this idea that you can be quicker by going through the woods and stuff like Lord of the Rings, the non-rubbish Frodo bits, they kind of travel through the woods. And they're, they're, they're all rubbish. The Frodo bits are all rubbish, let's be honest. I don't really think there's a modern equivalent of it. 
it's, I think it's still used quite a lot. Well, you'd struggle to find a thick and thin path that was more difficult to go through than... Just taking the motorway. Just taking the motorway. Maybe maybe the saying now should be just sit through the traffic on the M60. <laughs> it's still the quickest way to get from north to south Manchester. Lucy, remind us what your idiom was. Um, every cloud has a silver lining. Okay, so you'd use it when something looks, on the face of it, quite bleak or quite disastrous, but you want to see the good in it or you want to see an effect that it has that's good. And maybe someone suggests it and then usually somebody else says, eh, every cloud. Or you'd use it without realising there's a silver lining just to try and make yourself feel better. So you're just in a pit of despair and horrible stuff's happened and you go, well, every cloud's got a silver lining without actually knowing if it does. I personally use it in the latter more. Like really? when my bike got nicked, I was like, oh, well, every cloud, I don't have to wash my bike now. <laughs> I find it interesting that it's shortened as well. Mm. Very common that you just hear it go, oh, every cloud, and everybody knows what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's about right. It's either, it's just, there's a bad situation, but every bad situation, there's a good aspect to it. Um, usually you say it's someone else, maybe to cheer them up. Sometimes annoyingly, because you're just like, let me just have my bad time, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes just to yourself, like just kind of a, oh, I know, I know, it'll get better. Maybe, maybe something good will come out of it. You know, um, I'm handling it. Seems to be kind of the accepted usage. Um, so, where do you think it came from? So, I think it comes from a, you know, like um, the Rosetta Stone, where mm-hmm. people aren't really sure where it comes from, and people think that it's actually a hoax. And there's also things like, um, oh, there's a book that I've forgotten the name of, but it's supposed to be, people think it's a hoax, but it's written in a language that nobody's been able to decipher. And I can't for the life of me remember the name of the book, but I will put it in the show notes and then I'll kick myself for not remembering it. Anyway, (laughs) I think Every Cloud Has a Silver Lining is a bleed through. Um, So in science fiction... A bleed-through is when one universe bleeds into another universe, and actually the history of that one universe goes into the, the universe that you exist in. Um, an example in our universe is the, the, the Bernstein Bears or something, which um, everybody remembers as being like Bernstein, but actually it's Bernstein. Um, and everybody's got this collective memory of a change in the history, and they think it's one of those, you know, the, the simulation things, like this is proof we live in a simulation, because there's this collective memory that everybody has, but it's changed. And there's no historical evidence that it was ever the way everybody thinks it is. So I think it's bleed through. And in this other parallel universe, the Earth is gone completely. But what is here in its place is a sort of capsule of humans who've had to maintain their position in the Milky Way because it's quite a decent trading post. And everyone in the Milky Way has managed to go through Earth. And while it's gone now, it's still here in spirit because the humans retain in a space station. (laughs) And in this universe, there's a lot of clouds in the sky made up of the debris of the Earth, as was. And they've left a sort of silver shimmer in the air. And everybody on the human space station, despite the fact they have to live in loneliness for long periods because it only fits about 100 of them, they always go, every cloud's got a silver lining before they disappear. And that's actually bled through into our universe and it found its way into a 16th century poem that everybody just read at the time and picked up on and that's where it comes from. So why why are they saying every cloud have a is it for them is it purely literal there's a cloud oh there's the silver lining of my ancestors as they float through space obliterated yeah they see that cloud. they see that when they leave so they know that they see the edge of the cloud as they leave it when they leave the space station oh. so they know the silver lining is out there they've just got to leave the space station at the end of their shift and their shift is a thousand years long because they all live to a thousand so why did they leave they lived to two thousand you just said the thousand <laughs> I retroactively corrected myself it's one of those bleed throughs. 
You can tell he wants to be a writer. They like changing things after they're done. Only the bad ones. <laughs> I like the idea that the cloud actually contain, contains silver. So I reckon it comes from, um, you know, we all know Atlantis, the famous city of underwater silver. Yep, been there. Yep. yep. So I reckon that Atlantis had loads of silver. They knew they were going to get wiped out by the Romans because they were around at the same time as the Romans. And like, they didn't have Aquaman at the time to protect him. <laughs> Slash, they had Aquaman from the most recent movie and not from Batman the Brave and the Bold. I mean, it's Jason Momoa. Because one, one Aquaman's great and the other one's Jason McGover. McGover. <laughs> is what I heard his name was. Momoa. So what they did is they used their knowledge of water to put all of their, all of their money in clouds. A bit like we all keep ours <laughs> online in banks. They used clouds to keep their money in. Like how we store our data in the cloud. Yes, just like that. But <laughs> literal clouds. But it's de- the, uh, my data is in a literal cloud, definitely. It's not someone else's server. And they used to keep them up there for a rainy day. So they'd be like, oh, I might be poor now, but every cloud has a silver lining. Because one day my, my silver will rain down and I'll pick it up again and go and buy me some cake. That's, that's like an ISA that you can't get access to until on a, on a random basis. You, ne- you don't know when you're going to get access to your money. There's a few reasons why Atlantis fell. One of, <laughs> one of them... Poor economic practices. Yeah, was a slight shift in cloud formation. So they went through a period of drought and couldn't get any of their money. <laughs> Which, as a result, made, the, made um, the Gardens of Babylon very well off. Or it's either that, or God said it to Noah when he flooded the world. And he was like, every cloud, Noah, at least now you get to spend a few weeks with your wife. They were <laughs> arguing about Noah be working away so much doing God's work. So is it ancient Atlanteans and their ability to store their lucrative wealth in the clouds? Yes. Or is it parallel universe space station with smoke on, with a cloud that makes up the debris of Earth? Can we have a clue about like a serious one? Because I reckon both of ours are airy-fairy. <laughs> well, I've got three options for you that yes. you can pick from. Speak for um, yourself. Second one. So is it? From a book by P.T. Barnum, where he wrote, Every cloud, says the proverb, has a silver lining, and so I did not despair. Or, during the Henry's times, when he was having one of his many, many weddings, was Henry really annoyed because it was grey when he was meant to get married, and he's just like, I'm having none of this. So he commanded that everyone get all of these silver sheets, like, and just string them up so it looks like the clouds have silver linings so that you can have a slightly brighter day, you know, and be a bit fancy. Nice. Or was it from um, a poem by John Milton, Comus, a mask presented at Ludlow Castle, where he said, Was I deceived or did a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night? Arguably, Henry was a fool in the second one, because <laughs> the clouds already had a silver lining from all the Atlantean gold. Not silver. Atlantean gold, silver. Silver. Yeah. Silver. I do like a good Henry origin, <laughs> but I don't think it was Henry. I reckon the third one's the most, the most realistic. I'm surprised. I would have thought it might be something to do with just how clouds look and how, like, if you're a farmer and the clouds had a silver, a silver glint, you knew it was probably going to rain. You mean like red sky at night, shepherd's delight, yeah, a bit red like that. sky in the morning, shepherd's warning? Yeah. Well, it tends to look like that when the sun's behind them. So you get a big cloud, sun's behind it, and the edge kind of looks a bit silvery where the light bleeds around. Um, so, yeah, I could see where you'd get that one from so you reckon it's three based on your initial suggestion that 
there was a quote where he said, as the proverb says, mm -hmm. I think it doesn't have a hard origin. We don't know the origin, but the earliest recorded reference we have of it is this guy saying, as the proverb goes. And we don't actually know. I think the greatest showman said it. Is that what it was? <laughs> That's who P.T. Barnum is, yeah. Barnum really? Circus. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going for number one. So you say one, you say three. Yeah. Yeah, Ben's right. Yeah. Uh, um, you didn't go for two, and you're right. Yep. Yeah. You realise what you've just done, right? You've, you've destabilised your entire philosophy. I reckon that was the second one she wrote down. <laughs> it was actually the first one I wrote down. Second. <laughs> Adams was the second one I wrote down. Um, so the one by P.T. Barnum was 1869, and yet there was someone saying that that's, oh, this is the origin, which didn't make sense to me because he says, as the proverb says, which mm. suggests that this was already yeah. a saying. But no, it was Milton in his poem, and... Obviously, it's not quite the form we know now. It's just mentions clouds and silver linings. But after that, it started to be used in literature a lot more. And what is slightly disturbing was it, the poem's from 1634, so I'm suddenly worried that he got the idea from Adam's bleed-through. Yeah, 1600, <laughs> 1600 poems, what did I say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, but it started to get used a lot more by the, after that, um, with people often referring to them as Milton's clouds. Oh, right, okay. In, in kind of a newer iteration, it appeared first in 1840 in a review of a novel, um, Marion or a Young Maid's Fortune by Mrs. S. Hall. Uh, that said, as Katie McCann has it, there's a silver lining to every cloud that sails about the heavens if we could only see it, which is obviously a little closer to what we have now, but not quite. It's a bit more flowery than what we're saying. A little bit more flowery, yeah. It then changed a few years later, so the way we know it now appeared in a review of that book, funnily enough, in 1849, um, that whoever wrote the review quoted her wrong <laughs> and said that it was every cloud has a silver lining when that's not what the book said. So basically, <laughs> we've got that saying from someone misquoting someone else. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon that must happen a phenomenal amount. So yeah, it, we can trace it all the way back to Milton, but it's changed throughout history. And it was really popular in 1907, well, between 1907 and 1935. So, around the war. Yeah. Oh, well, shocking. I wonder yeah. why. And then it's had a resurgence <laughs> um, it, since the 1980s. I thought you were going to say since 2016 then. No, <laughs> no, not quite that bad. <laughs> but yeah, since the 1980s, it's it spiked up to the same level it was at during the war. That's weird. I wonder it, why that is. Yeah. Russia. It's another one linked to Russia. Yeah, but that was after though. I mean, 1980s is sort of like on the decline of Russia and the collapse of the Soviet Union. I'd say that's more likely just the end of the baby boom generation. Stopping using it. Yeah, I think that's Generation X coming to prominence and the millennials just starting out. But yeah, I, I basically think that it's quite possible that, as Ben said, the way clouds kind of look like they have a silver lining sometimes, probably where Milton got the inspiration from. And then it's just gone from there and it's become... Gradually evolved. Yeah, it's gradually evolved and become a common saying that everyone kind of knows what you mean. Until it was eventually misquoted. And yeah. I find, I, find the misquoted, I find the misquoted thing fascinating. It's like um, Star Wars and the whole, Luke, I am your father, which is absolutely not what that. he says. What does he say? He says, uh, no, I am your father, or something like that. Yeah, um, he doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. And yet it's one of the most quoted things from a film that it's not even in. Isn't it said no, something like that way in uh, in The Simpsons? Simpsons, yeah, no, it is. It's it's and in that's the, where they reckon it came from. It's, it's where Bleeding Gums Murphy. Yeah, it's episode. where Lisa's on the cliff face, seeing Bleeding Gums Murphy in the in the clouds, funnily enough, and he appears, and then it's the same. Isn't it the same voice actor, uh, James Earl Jones? Uh, probably. Is James Earl Jones the voice of um, Terence Woodnow? 
<laughs> hey, Terence, when you're listening to this, shout at your podcast player of choice. Also, happy birthday. Also, happy birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, because he plays, I think, um, Bleeding Gums Murphy and Darth Vader, obviously. And he plays uh, Simba's father. What was he called in The Lion King? Mufasa. Mufasa. Mr. Mr. Lion. Mr. King. Because they make a reference. They make a reference to the film Kimba. Yeah, because that. that's the that's the like knockoff like, African version or it, something. It's not a knockoff. It's supposed to be the well, one. Well, it's it's like it's supposed to be the one. There's a film called Kimba the Lion, I think, and it's it's supposed to be where Disney got the inspiration for yeah, Simba from the Lion King. It just seems like a knockoff because obviously they stole basically the names. Yeah, because he goes Kimba. I I mean Simba. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, cool. I like it. Every cloud's got a silver lining, just like our podcast. What's the silver lining of our podcast? Me. <laughs> Modern equivalent? I don't suppose there is one, really. It's quite it's used quite a lot. Yeah. Other than just silver cloud. Yeah. Which people... Oh, every cloud. Every cloud yeah, people just kind just of... just every cloud. We still have clouds. Now they're full of data. Every Not bro- silver. Every broken phone screen is a new opportunity to, to get an upgrade for your phone. <laughs> Given all the high-profile leaks of cloud information over the last few years, it's probably fallen out of vogue, I'd imagine. I mean, the Atlanteans figured out that you shouldn't store your silver in clouds. You'd think we would have known not to put data in them. That is true. We should have learned from the Atlanteans. You did, didn't you, Ben? <laughs> I did. I don't store my silver in the cloud. Yeah. Somebody my bed. My idiom is fly off the handle. When would you use it? Don't rob me. And Oops. we have mentioned this before in passing, but I want to see if you remember any of what we discussed then. So fly off the handle. When would you use it? When you are um, not very happy about someone not very happy with someone or something little's happened and you blow it out of proportion and kind of really tear a strip off them it's that kind of idea that you're giving a response that doesn't you the, D- disproportionate response yeah like the original thing doesn't warrant the response the response that you gave so like you might bump into someone in the street and they might go ooh, and try and like fully start a fight with you does whereas, happen in manchester a lot whereas most people just be like oh sorry mate no worries Bye. See you later. Every cloud. <laughs> Go with your mates. Yeah, we can. I mean, it'd be a bit of a weird interaction. Yeah, agree. Concur. That's what, that's what I expect. Yes. Yeah, seems about right. Just basically when someone just has a disproportionate reaction to something, does something a bit crazy. But is, is it just something in their personality that makes them do that? Or would there be another reason why they'd fly off the handle? Because they've taken drugs. <laughs> okay. Are we getting... it, it could be. No, they could be Are intoxicated. We... Are you doing a drug special episode? Is that what you're trying to bring this around? Talk to Frank. Drugs are bad. Don't do drugs. It was Frank, wasn't it? That whole, yeah, those Frank. Adverts. So yeah, uh, yeah, to become suddenly and irrationally violent about something, usually exploding is coupled with it. Is violent in, implicitly included? Well, not like violent as in attacking oh, someone, right. but, but maybe, maybe you just like slam your hand on the desk or something like, uh, go away. I wish there was a desk here so I could slam my hand upon it. Instead, you're slamming your hand upon your knee. Uh, doesn't really have the same effect um, where do you think it comes from I reckon it comes from uh, do you know a few years ago Delia Smith reviewed the best frying pan money could buy and it was like a five pound frying pan sold by a very small factory somewhere kind of in a nowhere place in England I, I will take your word for it okay. yeah, I believe you and like overnight they, they sold like thousands of frying pans <laughs> nice. so this comes from a time before Delia Smith's intervention so P D.S., as we call it in the know, pre-Delia Smith, where uh, people would buy shoddily made frying pans and they would heat up and they would, the, 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 the pans were, were cast iron metal stuff and the handles were often 
wood and what would happen is that the metal would expand and squeeze off the wood and launch it across the room a bit like a small rocket just ping it off so you're, you're cooking dinner Boom. you're cooking dinner in the evening and you have to hold your shield in front of you just in case the pan chooses that yes. moment to fly the handle at you in 1985 to 1989 there was 12 deaths a year from this Fry, frying pan related deaths frying pans it was a harrowing time i'm glad i was born after it, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible <laughs> the dark days yeah uh, until they brought in uh, until pds um, yeah well until that until DS. Post, yes. Yeah. DS. Post DS. Post DS. Confusingly also PDS. <laughs> yes. Very confusing. <laughs> we could call one. No, that doesn't work. So, so yeah. So I think it's the idea that, that it was such a violent response for what is just, and quite often people would use um, travel burners. You know, when you go camping and you've got like a little. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so it'd be quite a small stove, but then produce this kind of quite violent response. To a stage whereby um, the defense minister, the Ministry for Defense, did try and scale it up and produce some <laughs> fairly impressive kind of intercontinental intercontinental frying pans, <laughs> intercontinental frying pans, frying pan <laughs> weapons. With the only downside being that you, um, he's got a skillet. Run! <laughs> you'd end up people that used them just ate loads of fried eggs and got a bit fat. I do like a good fried egg. So, can you think of an origin? Weirdly. I thought of a similar one to what Ben came up with. Damn it. However, I've now come up with a different one, just just because. So I'm going with, on some um, horse riding saddles, they have kind of a handle on the front, more of a pommel or something, uh, whatever it's called, but I'm going to call it a handle just for the sake of it. Um, the, and basically, the thing on the front of the saddle at the top. That you yeah, that you can hold on to if you don't have reins. So I heard that. Hang were, on to that instead. They were called handles during the time of this idiom, and yeah. they became pommels later on due to... Yeah, due to the story just convenience reasons. Yeah. Um, and basically, they'd be on parade or just going across the prairie because it was cowboyist of times. And uh, you know, they're going across the prairie and a rattlesnake would come and spook the horse. So the horse would suddenly start bucking and going mental because it's just like, oh my God, this tiny snake. Terrifying because horses, not that bright. Um, and you would have to desperately hold on, but your horse is suddenly going crazy. So you might fly off the handle because you suddenly get kicked off and you have to let go of the handle. And you get thrown from the horse. Yep. Did, nice. these, did these people then stand up and punch their horse? And that's kind of where the anger element came from. Yes. Because in those days, they only they thought the best way to yep. train horses was with... Just punch them. Bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, so you'd, it takes quite a while because you have to set up a ring. So okay. I'm going with horses. So handles, frying pans, and being thrown from a horse. Yep. I like it. <laughs> I've got three options for you, which I think is the first time that all of us brought three options to a podcast. because Sam's not here. Yep. <laughs> your brother Sam, he died to us. <laughs> it's not your birthday, so you get no special treatment. No. Debbie, you're okay. You're still in. Number one. Does it come from the idea that an axe head can fly off its accompanying handle and cause damage? First found in the Atachi, or Sam Slick in England, by Thomas Chandler Halliburton. Number two. <laughs> I love Adam's kind of semi-made-up, semi-believable names where yeah. he's really proud when he gets a good one. Does it come from the Korean War, where a patrol of American soldiers found themselves stationed on a ridge that they crudely referred to as the Handle due to an inability to pronounce its proper name? <laughs> it became a morbid joke that they suggested someone go fly off the Handle when they were being annoying. And number three, is it an evolution of the phrase have a handle on something? which in turn came from the old-style motor cars that needed winding up. Having a handle on something was exhibiting some form of control, and flying off the handle was what happened when a car lurched or backfired and detached suddenly from the handle. So is it number one, an axe head flying off a handle? Number two, a ridge in the Korean War, 
called um, called the handle, or is it number three, uh, the handle on the front of a car? If you were to attempt to, oh, it's the car thing, isn't it? If you were attempt to um, pronounce the Vietnam original wording, I knew for, you were going to ask this for the handle. How, what? How would you? How would you say it? Si handa. Si handa. Mm-hmm. He's, he's doing his research, hasn't he? I reckon mm. he's even outfoxed me on that one. I have heard the car thing. I reckon it's the car thing, but I like number two so much. I'm going to. I'll go with the car just because Ben wants to go for that one. Okay, so, ben, so Ben's <laughs> gone from the handle in the Korean War. Lucy's gone for the car handle. Um, it is actually number one. Ah, um, knew it. And it was, it's the idea that of an axe head flying off its accompanying handle and causing damage. And it is, in fact, first found in the Atachi or Sam Slick in England by Thomas Chandler Halliburton, 1843. Oh, I thought you were doing smug eyes when you said those names. You're like, go for it, Ben. Yeah. Pick to, this one. You yeah, know you want to. Trying to goad me into it like <laughs> my deep pearly whites. Um he pearly blues. It's not really it's not it's not an idiom, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it here just so it won't ruin future things, but the same author. Just um, to ruin it for you, Ben. He has brown eyes. <laughs> Thomas Chandler Halliburton. He was he was quite prolific, he wrote quite a lot. He wrote uh, a few books along the same Sam Slick books series, and he also came up with "Won't take no for an answer" in 1853, and he's the person that's credited with the phrase "Won't take no for an answer," which I found quite interesting because it's kind of just a throwaway phrase that you might hear. Mm. Um, so he came up with "Fly off the handle and won't take no for an answer." He was a Canadian politician and author back when uh, in Nova Scotia, back when Nova Scotia wasn't part of Canada. Can you tell me what Nova Scotia means? New Scotia? Nova Scotia. So Nova is an explosion of something, and a Scotia is a poor man's Skoda. <laughs> so it's an explosion. That's it's- weird, because a Skoda is a poor man's Volkswagen. So it's a really, really poor man's Volkswagen. So it's like blowing up. It's the explosion that happens when you drive around in a really, really, really poor man's Volkswagen. <laughs> Which frequently happened in rural Canada. Yes. Yep, cool. Um, what did you say? New Scotia? Yeah. So. So new is correct. I figured new. Nova is, is, it means new. It's Latin. It means new. Explosion. Scotia is Scotland. Oh, I wondered if it was Scotland, but then I was like, maybe it's something like Scandinavian mm. that I'm just unaware of. So yeah, Nova Scotia actually means new Scotland, which I didn't know. I was quite... Do so they quite... also have deep fry yes. Mars bars? Or do they deep fry moose? <laughs> deep fry moose. <laughs> deep fry iron brew. Mm. Real, well, you deep fry your moose in iron brew. There's a real knack to it because it's a liquid. Yeah. But it's one of those liquids that Adam Delicacy. talks about. Mark Twain used fly off the handle, but he didn't use it in reference to someone getting angry. He, referred, he used it in reference to someone singing when the upper notes were jarring. So somebody who's an all right singer, but when he tries to sing falsetto or high notes, sings it in a really jarring fashion. And that's how um, Mark Twain used the phrase. So it wasn't the same, uh, realistically. I mean, it was, that was 1869. So after the trip phrase had been coined, and he used it in just a different way. Interestingly, compared to Lucy's version of the engram, it was, it's never been as popular as it was in the 1980s. Fly off the handle. And I don't know why this is. I don't know why fly off the handle was suddenly popular in the 1980s, and I don't know why, it had, why it's dipped since, and it's just not had a resurgence. Because generally with the internet, you see peaks again at the end of the graphs, where phrases that have been quite popular historically suddenly come back into prominence because everyone's got the internet and everyone can type messages to each other. But fly off the handle hasn't been as popular as it was since the 1980s. 80s crime thrillers and cop shows. It could very well be. It yeah. would not surprise me. Your loose cannon cops that fly off the handle. Yep, that's what yeah. I think of mainly when I think of the saying that and intercontinental intercontinental. 
Intercontinental. Huge, huge. Intercontinental is what happens when birds throw eggs at each other. <laughs> <laughs> that and huge frying pans is what I think of. Cops and huge frying pans. That was amusing. <laughs> that was good. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes and on the Overcast app. Feel free to hit the star to get people talking about us behind our backs. Do we have any people talking about us behind our backs? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MFORpodcast. Feel free to email us at cast at zy.io. Relevant links from this episode are in the show notes and our individual social media accounts are available at the bottom. Thanks for listening to A Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. Sam Sam brought engrams into repute last time we last time I was here, didn't he? He he claimed well, he questioned how they generated the engrams based on if it was to do with the amount of literature there was at the time and if an early reference caused an abnormal spike. Because we found an abnormal spike. Yeah. You both did. You both did, I think. Because I quite like them, but the fact that we're seeing a lot where it kind of is used and then dies out and then comes back recently makes them suspicious. It does. Like, I don't know how reliable the engram stuff is. I should probably... Um... Yeah, it's at least an interesting metric. Well, they, they scan a lot. I mean, they scan, like, periodicals, they scan articles, they scan the books in... It's the Gutenberg Library, I think they use. Is it the Gutenberg Library? The one probably. where they... I think they, they index every single book. You can... Project Gutenberg, I think it's called. You can upload books, and people do. Just any version of a book they want to upload. I need to upload a couple of mine, actually, that are, um, that are rare, and they're definitely not in the library. I need to scan those and upload them at some point. Oh, right. Mm. Their so, books, their books written by my great uncle about pre- his war experience. I presume kind of written literature before the printing press is more or less non-existent. Yeah, well, there's a lot of, well, his uncle's was just self-published half the time, so there's not a lot of it. You get a lot so of So there's probably a lot of stuff like that where it's just someone's granddad wrote a book and there's 10 of them in the loft. No one else has ever seen it. Yeah, I should get my dad to do it actually because he's got a book out. It's, it's, the, it's the vanity publishing thing where you can get a small publishing house to publish your book for you. Amazon do it as well. You can you can upload any book you want to Amazon. There's some real dross on there. We, we um, had to read one recently, didn't we? <laughs> we've had to read it got one. got published by a full publishing yeah, house. Yeah, that was, that was published by HarperCollins. That's yeah. not a small publishing We're house. We're not allowed to talk about it. Adam, Adam cuts it. I'll probably leave that in. It was a terrible book. What was it called? Jardin Ice. Squids in Space. Squids, Squids in Space. In space. Oh. I still don't know how many, how many characters are supposed to be in that book. No idea. No idea. Because it was so poorly written. Not sure who was the captain. Just kept... Kept changing as far as more. Between five and ten is what I got. I, ho- I hope I never publish a book of that calibre because it was just bad. Oh, I yeah. hope you do because I'd really enjoy ribbing you for it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. If I can get away with you never reading anything that I've written, I'll be a very happy individual. <laughs> um, I'm very hungry. Let me just stop. See, go time. Thank you. Dude.